will inbound. He gets it over to the doctor. Time all game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores at the buzzer, and the Nets win 120 to 118. I think we see Willis coming out. Here comes Willis. Over to Kidd. Baseline drive. Kidd throws it up. Oh! How did he do it? Randall on the drive. Stripped by Butler. Randall gets it back. Randall puts up a three. Bang! Bang! Randall knocks down the three with seven tenths of a second remaining. With full court press coverage on all of the signings, trades, big games, and everything Knicks, Nets, and across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Another week of Pick and Pod. So glad you could join us and a lot to get into this week. Coming out of the All-Star break, we're going to start in Brooklyn, though. For the first time in a while, the Nets are drawing a bit of national media coverage, but of course not for the right reasons. Jock Vaughn is out. Kevin Ollie is the interim in Brooklyn, and of course, Owner Joe Sy also reportedly selling 10% of the Nets franchise to a member of the Coach family, one of the most influential oil families in American history. So a lot of change in Brooklyn. Also, All-Star Weekend has wrapped up a historically non-competitive All-Star game. Also, the Knicks are awfully hobbled coming out of the All-Star break. We'll break that down. But I am Miles Grossman, joined by my guys, Kay Peter, the one and only Chris Persiani, and, of course, Ralph Barbieri. Guys, coming out of All-Star break, there's... A a couple places to start. Of course, we got the Sabrina, got the Steph talk, but I want to start in Brooklyn, as we said. The Nets, they went into the All-Star break with a 50-point loss at Boston in the Celtics. And if you watched that game in Boston, you know it was one of the ugliest losses the NBA has seen in the last couple years. I mean, really not competitive whatsoever from the tip. It was so bad that it drew national media attention. You don't really see a Nets team ever draw national media attention, but the loss was so bad that you almost knew some sort of change was coming, and with the trade deadline passed, Jock Vaughn was the culprit. Jock Vaughn has been fired, and Chris, that's where we really got to begin. One of the 30 NBA head coaches has been canned. It's big news. Kevin Ollie is the interim, one of the assistants out there in Brooklyn, but Jock Vaughn, a, a fantastic human being, is out of a job but he was running the nets not in a winning way, so all that not that surprising. Miles, your setup for me leaves me with nothing to say. <laughs> I mean, that's it. You encompassed the discussion that needs to be had about this conversation. Now walk with me for a second here. There are lots of different kinds of NBA coaches. Tom Thibodeau, Will Hardy, right? For every Quinn Snyder, there's a Steve Clifford. For every Steve Kerr, there's an email Udoka. The guys have their their polar opposites, their parallels. Thibodeau and Clifford so similar, despite never you know being assistants with each other or anything. They just they coach the same way. Um, if you just say that some coaches are electricians, some coaches are plumbers, some coaches are, are tech support guys, Geek Squad, right? They all fix fundamental issues in a different way, different kinds of issues. They address different kinds of things, right? The Brooklyn Nets, and I'm talking, think about the assets. Think about the players on the roster. Think about the players they're hoping to get on the roster, the kinds of players. They think about the whole organization. 
they had a, a leaky sink with the pipe burst underneath with a hole in the floor because the wood is wearing away because of overuse, but also the wood has some disease that's causing it to like disintegrate in the middle of the day. And they were like, we're going to bring in the Wi-Fi guy and he's going to take care of this. What was going on was a mess in its own right. And when the Knicks were an organization lacking organization, they brought in a coach, drill sergeant-esque, to come in and whether his way was great or terrible or anything in between, do everything his way. They bought in. The team bought in. The players bought in. Everything was done Thibodeau's way, right? Jacques Vaughn is a coach that is a player's coach a little bit more, but defensively minded, you know, has not really an offensive mastermind reputation. Well, he doesn't have a true number one option on his team. Cam Thomas, best served as a bench player on a good team or, you know, maybe a, a starter in a team that has lots of length but not shot creation wouldn't be that great. Um, they're not going to, you know, scheme up anything that's more complicated than what a college team runs for team for players that don't have, like, self-creation ability. But Vaughn didn't do that. He wasn't creative with the Nets' talent. He wasn't innovative. He wasn't cutting edge. He was a step behind in the wrong direction. And that, to me, is why he got fired. Now, totally separate issue, that mess that he inherited and also left behind. He was not a force strong enough to change what he got into anything different than what he left. And and that's why he got fired. But the thing is that what's left, no good. Uh, right. I mean... Like you said, inherited a mess, but there was no strong attempt to uh, create a culture there. I think that Celtics blowout in one game is the state of the organization. Uh, my initial reaction, as someone who's not super tapped in with Nets drama, was that it seemed like an odd time. You know, why not just let him uh, coach the rest of the season, considering the season's almost done, uh, or, you know, we're, we're past the halfway mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but upon, you know, reading some 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 things and, and hearing some things they know what they what they want to do in the future with bridges and mm-hmm. seemingly if they want to keep bridges how to get rid of Vaughn. yeah they did it it's a good point um you know Mikel bridges became more vocal and more vocal as the year went on about what the issues were within the Nets offense and that was that seemingly so Jock Vaughn had planned to build this offense around Ben Simmons and of course Ben Simmons has only played 12 games this year if I'm not mistaken 12 if anyone wants to fact check me on that but I believe it's 12 games and Ben Simmons of course is never going to be a focal point of an NBA team it seems is is he ever going to be that guy that consistently is out there on an NBA floor I don't think so and it, it, the ceiling was certainly there when, when Simmons was drafted first overall but the fact that in this era of his career, Jock Vaughn was willing to commit this heavily to Ben Simmons is a little surprising and must have led to losing the locker room a little bit. Well, here's the thing, Miles. If you have Ben Simmons on your team eating up about a third of your salary cap, that's mm-hmm. inherently restrictive, period. <laughs> I don't need to add to that. That's inherently restrictive. End of sentence. Yes. Okay? But Ben Simmons, it's not like he was a it's not like he's actually bad. He's just not good, and that's not worth can't the salary cap he mm-hmm. takes up. Right. In the games he has played, 
He's been 62nd percentile in the NBA in EPM, an advanced stat that front offices, I would say, 30 out of 30 use. Um, and, and that, to me, says when he's on the court, he's not a glaring negative, but he's not moving any needles anywhere, right? He's just out there doing his thing, which at this rate is being an NBA player, but not an impactful one, just a player. And that isn't the end of the world when you're trying to be a bad team, mm-hmm. but that's the problem is the Nets don't have their own draft pick. Um, they, they don't have an incentive to be bad. And their number one option, Macau Bridges, I think he's been better in that role than people give him credit for because of the floor he brings defensively. He's learning a lot about ancillary skills like playmaking that he'll be a much better number two, number three when he's back in his proper role because of this experience. Look cross town at Julius Randle, who's now a better passer than ever because of his time being overcast, miscast as a number one option. Now he's a better passer. Bridges in that same EPM stat is 85th percentile in the NBA, and he does it. And when you say EPM, you mean effective plus minus? Y- yes. So dunks and threes. When you when so dunks and threes pro basketball analysis uses EPM, which is um, basically it's a catch all. It's a catch all stat. It's estimated plus minus. Um, it's per 100 minutes. So mm-hmm. how much you play doesn't affect. It's just an impact metric. Catch all. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell you that NBA GMs use it over their in-house metrics that the teams pay like tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars for mm-hmm. annually. So why pay for them? They <laughs> the, the owners want to like be able to say they have the top-notch stuff, <laughs> but the, the GMs that like are good actually end up using the things that the nerds online create, like <laughs> Darko DPM, EPM, um, and stats like that. LeBron, if mm. you've ever seen that stat, <laughs> I don't know the one. That's funny. Um, but I think the key with Ben Simmons is that he's been impactful when he's been out there, right? It's just that he can't stay out there. And then the idea that Jock Vaughn was relying on him being out there is kind of shocking to me. But, Chris, these Nets have 28 games to go. I mean, the play-in is looking unlikely this year. Of course, Mikel Bridges is a net. He is going to be a centerpiece for years to come. It seems Cam Thomas is arguably their only appreciating asset. The kid's only 22 years old. But, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on where do you go if you're the Brooklyn Nets. Now, it's obviously not going to happen this year. Like we said, the trade deadline is behind us, that February 8th date. 28 games to go is not that much. But, of course, the NBA season really never ends if you're a front office. And, you know, where would you like this Nets team to go? Well, for Cam Thomas's case, you want to hear a funny stat from EPM. He's fifth percentile in the NBA defensively. He's one of the worst in the league. That's being a negative. And to me, that kind of encompasses where the Nets are at in the sense where it's like the assets that they have that are the best assets aren't even aren't, the, aren't, aren't, aren't even that good. Can't headline trade packages that are impactful. So like you're talking about maybe getting DeJounte Murray as opposed to like, hey, Donovan Mitchell wants to come home to New York and the Knicks didn't trade for him. He'd love to come to the – oh, we have nothing enticing right. besides the first-round picks that belong to Phoenix, who's really good. So, like, hmm. that, that that's a problem, right? So if I'm the Nets, Miles, I have the same approach that I've said they should have throughout the season. And if they had listened to me when I spoke to you about this earlier in the year, they would have a breakout star right now. But they didn't, so they don't. I thought the Nets should entrust their pro scouts, their professional scouts, to look around the NBA and identify miscast young talent, players that are good, not great, 
not elite upside, whatever, just good young players that don't play or don't play enough on other teams and have front offices and coaches that would be willing to move on from them. And the number one target I said the Nets should be after was Jonathan Kuminga. I said they the Warriors do not play him at all. This was before it had come out that he said publicly, Steve Kerr's like ruined my development. <laughs> this was before any of that. I was like, go get Kuminga. Um, give up first-round picks if you have to. That guy's a stud. And I know there's a little New Jersey bias there, but <laughs> when he was in the draft cycle, I had him top five, and that's what I'm talking about. The Nets need to look at their scouts and be like, hey, who are guys that you thought were really good in their draft cycle mm-hmm. that don't play now? I got another example of one for you that they could pursue this offseason. A.J. Griffin on the Atlanta Hawks. I had him number five on my draft board regardless of injury status, which is why he fell to the outside of the lottery, like 14, 15 range to the mm-hmm. Hawks. If I'm the Nets, I've got Dariq Whitehead down in, developing in Long Island. I'd say not down in Long Island, maybe <laughs> over. East <laughs> and Long Island, Northeast. Um, but you target players like A.J. Griffin or like Isaiah Jackson on the Indiana Pacers who – have potential that their scouts were high on in their draft cycle, but because of their situation, which is everything in the NBA, haven't exactly panned out. Go shop in the bargain bin, but when you shop in the bargain bin, you don't buy something that's cheap for the sake of it. You buy something that's cheap because you're like, oh, I'd pay more for this. This is a great deal. There's value here. Trust your scouts. You pay them salaries every year to watch NBA games and identify talent. And give them your uh, give you give you their thoughts on it. Trust them. Let them do their job. Go trade for guys that they think can be impact players in your system. Part of that is figuring out what the hell your system's going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Ralph, you know, Chris touched on a couple targets there, but they're all pretty middling players in the NBA. And with that's where they're at. The Brooklyn Nets in their situation, of course, with Bridges here, they're going to be looking to add more than that, right? They're going to be looking to add either Tier 1 superstar, Tier 2 superstar. Is it possible that this offseason lands a couple guys in Brooklyn? I mean, I I just can't see it. I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking very, very short term when you asked that question before. I'm thinking after the All-Star break, treat it like the season is just beginning. Put all your faith in the interim coach. Throw out the old style, the old, the old uh, the Ben Simmons um, playbook, and just and just see what you have, um, and then after that maybe you can reevaluate, um, but but treat it like it's a new season, and decide from there. I hear you, and you know Kevin Ollie is the name taking the reins. Kevin Ollie is a name well respected amongst NBA coaches and NBA players. He four years at Crenshaw High School and then four years at UConn. I mean. If it, those two combined for genuinely the epitome of toughness. But Kevin Ollie has bounced around quite a bit as a player. Believe it or not, he was Kevin Durant's vet back when he was early with OKC. That's kind of uh, Kevin Ollie's claim to fame. He After that period of his life, he went back to coach at his alma mater, UConn, and then back here with Overtime Elite and then with Brooklyn. But there are a couple interesting stops on in Kevin Ollie's journey. Most recently, before being a Brooklyn Net, he was with Overtime Elite. And I think that's kind of the direction of the Brooklyn Nets. They chose Kevin Ollie because he's a youthful-minded head coach who understands that the future is brighter than the past and the present. I... This is so, like, desolate. Oh, this is... (laughs) This this conversation stinks. Like, I, I think the Nets are at a point where it's like, man, just... They... 
they have their pick next year, right? Because they didn't have their pick this year. That means they have to have their pick next year per the Stepien rule. So they've got something going on next season. Bottom out. Do it. It's worth it. I know that the, the draft odds are different. These aren't the hinky days anymore, but <laughs> please, God, just bottom out. Like, okay, I think there's a sense of pride here, Miles, and I, I, maybe you can correct me because you're around the team, but, like, for me, I, I was the one who reported first last season that there was a mystery team that offered four first-round picks for uh, Mikhail Bridges named the Memphis Grizzlies. Zach Lowe said someone did that, and I was like, oh, it was Memphis. I know that. I heard about that. <laughs> like, And um, that ended up getting out, and it also got out that another team had also offered four firsts. So I could have been right. I could have been wrong about whether that was the one Lowe meant. But regardless, they got two offers of four first-round picks for Bridges' decline. This past off season, not sure it was a hundred percent on the table, but it was at the very minimum like offered in conversation. Anthony Simons and the number three overall pick, which would have been Scoot Henderson, you take that for Mikhail Bridges, but the Nets didn't. And so I think Miles that there's a sense of pride here, where the Nets are like, hey, we've turned down these mega offers. Now we have to keep this guy. We have to win with him. We have to cast him in the right role down the road because if not, we look dumb. We have to go get Donovan Mitchell. We have to trade for Trey Young. I think they'll get stuck with the sunk cost fallacy into building one of those mid three, yeah, like yeah. not super super teams, like Demar Derozan, Nikola Vucevic, and and Lonzo Ball's super team. Like, well, I think the key with Bridges is that you're exactly right. They had the opportunity to sell high, they declined, and now he's a clearly depreciating and asset. They feel dumb. And how do you handle the depreciating asset? You because Mikel Bridges is not a bad NBA player, right? He provides productivity. He's really good. He provides productivity on both sides of the ball at the small forward spot that is still rare, right? So given that Mikael Bridges adds a decent amount of value, the Brooklyn Nets look at him and say, well, we didn't sell high when we could have. Let's not sell low now because he's still giving us something at the end of the day. And without Bridges, the Brooklyn Nets are absolutely nothing. And I think that, you know, they they, they can kind of recognize that and that's why they selected him as hey this is the guy we're going to build around not that he's going to be the number one option but he will be probably hopefully in their eyes the third option in our big three coming next season now Chris the big conversation is you touched on Kaminga you touched on Green I mean Chris those are names that Brooklyn is simply would scoff at at this point they're looking for Kyle Kuzma Still, it just wouldn't be enough. They're looking for a one-two punch. That would still be the mid-three category for yeah. me. <laughs> but that's that's better than what they have going on right now, and what they have going on right now doesn't get rewarded by draft a draft pick because they, they traded it for James Harden. <laughs> like that's like, <laughs> I think you look at Mikael Bridges as the benchmark, though. and You have to look at him as, well, we decided that he can't be a number one option. This year proved that right, to us. Right, right. So now we have to go out and find, hopefully, a one or two above him. Now, Chris, I'm not sure probably as well as you are about who's going to be a free agent in a couple months, but what I do know is that none of them are going to want to come to Brooklyn off the bat. It's going to take a, a pretty penny to get them here. I also don't think there's any ones or twos in this free no, agent the, class. The there Knicks, okay. remember the remember the free agency class for the Knicks, Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Alfred Payton, like they brought in all those guys. For them, they overpaid those guys, but that was like what they had to do. Tobias Harris is going to be a free agent. That's someone that, you know, could play next to Bridges outside. Um 
Hayward, DeRozan, but DeRozan <sighs> will probably stay with Chicago. It's just going to be tough to land any of these guys. I mean, D'Angelo Russell. Oh, there's going to be some names. D'Angelo yeah. Russell could return. Yeah, that. that would be fun. I think Markel Fultz would be fun. Ooh, um, Gary Trent Jr. If the Raptors go in a different but direction, Chris, still many of these names. You, they're you, not tier one. Right, right, right. No one is going. That, that's not how the NBA works anymore. Those top guys. If you can name a top player in the NBA, like a top twenty-five player whose name doesn't rhyme with Balen Shrumpson, <laughs> that switched teams in free agency in the Barely last rhymes. five years, yes. I'll give you five dollars cash right now. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That the, because of the contracts available to sign the team and trade keeping, yeah. or trade mm-hmm. or getting drafted, name a free agent signing that was a superstar top 20 in the lot. You can't do it. So what the Nets need to do is turn away from that. They need to add impact players in free agency, guys who can start on good teams. Tobias Harris, DeMar DeRozan, D'Angelo Russell or, or, or freaking Markel Fultz. Mm-hmm. Like, what the current Knicks did. Yeah. Those guys can start on okay teams, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that a fun, feisty Nets team could be a little more than mid and make like a sixth seed one year? Right, because they're currently <laughs> just outside the play-in. So, like, go for it, right? If that's what you're doing, if you're going to keep Macau, then go for it. Mm-hmm. And what you should do probably is strip it all down and tank and bottom out, like I said earlier. But what they did at this trade deadline... As Miles loves to say on Florida men's basketball mm-hmm. broadcasts, the decision was indecision. Bang. <laughs> and so for Brooklyn, they got chills. The, the, money, the money's under the mattress. It's depreciating by the second. Mm-hmm. They're not investing yes. it anywhere. They could pick a bond. They could pick a bank with a bad APY. Mm-hmm. They could invest yes. their money in Simple. a bad business down the street. Yeah. But Instead, it's under the mattress, losing value by the second. You know why? Oh, because this is our money, and our money's worth more than you say it is, so we're just going to keep it. You know where that got Masai Ujiri and the Toronto Raptors? <laughs> Pas- Pascal Siakam plays in Cornrow City. Mm-hmm. OG Ananobi <laughs> plays in the Big Apple. Mm-hmm. Dennis Schroeder's a Brooklyn Net. Mm-hmm. That team is torn to shreds because they stunk. Yeah, and believe it or not, the Brooklyn Nets are in Toronto tonight. It'll that be a, a, a battle of subpar NBA franchises. <laughs> I mean... It's tough for Brooklyn. I think that whatever happens is not going to happen anytime soon. And Cal Bridges versus R.J. Barrett's going to sound like a like a like, <laughs> an, like an old time war zone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to do it for our Brooklyn Nets part of the show. They're in Toronto, as we said, 7 p.m. tip tonight, up there against the Raptors, 21 and 33. The Brooklyn Nets, fourth in the Atlantic Division, and of course, well outside of the play-in. At the moment, but we're going to transition over to the Manhattan squad here in New York. Chris Persianen, our New York Knicks beat reporter. And Chris, this is a team that has dealt with the injury bug worse than any other team in the association this year. But coming out of the All-Star break, there's opportunity, possibly a couple names coming back. So (laughs) it's a a who's who right now on the Knicks bench. Uh, if you're a Westchester Knicks fan, because that thing is full <laughs> of those G-leaguers, um, I bet the Westchester people are, are real hype. I bet the PR interns are losing their minds making yep. the call-up graphics. <laughs> Knicks signed Dimitro Skopinsev to 10-day contract. Knicks signed Daquan Jeffries to 10-day contract. Jacob Toppin to mm-hmm. a 10-day All in the last two weeks, Taj right. Gibson. 
Four Todd Gibson. Four ten day contracts. In the Todd last couple Gibson weeks. is like a hardship contract in the WNBA. If you know anything about that, you don't see it in the NBA usually. It's what funny. Todd? You guys, if you follow the NFL and you know Wink Martindale, which Giants fans do well, he said <laughs> Jihad Ward or Hadi, as fans of him know him as, will always have a job in the NFL so long as he does. Yeah. That's like his guy that he brings with him. That's Tibbs and Todd. Yeah. yeah. You always thought it was D Rose, <laughs> but Todd is timeless. Yeah. Um, anyway. So the thing with the thing with Todd being a New York Knicks in the year of our Lord 2024 at the age of 37, it's like the Knicks have their own Udonis Haslam now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, but the thing is that it's not good, right? The Knicks did not have the depth to sustain that. They were a team that had two all-star slash all-NBA ball-dominant options surrounded by Grimes, a burgeoning young player who wants more touches. Barrett, a young player who wants touches and a lot of them and was getting like 15 shots up a game. Mm-hmm. And then they had a good fun bench unit that was moving the ball and like always looked better, right? The starters would keep it tied, the bench would get the lead. That was the shtick. They make the trade for Ananobi and turn into the NBA's most powerful wrecking ball, going 12 and 2 with OG mm-hmm. in orange and blue. But the problem was he's been out with surgery in the elbow. Boyan's out. Mitchell Robinson's been out for months. Burks is a Nick again, so that's fun at least. But Bogdanovich acquired is out. Randall's out. <laughs> Randall might come back before Ananobi at this point. Yeah. Um, and they're expecting maybe Robinson to be back in April or March. So the- Robinson out of a boot, but not running. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> that's, that. uh, you know, that's a mess. Um, for the Knicks, though, they're the kind of team nowadays in the NBA where if they've just got like seven of their guys, they're probably fine. So Brunson, Hart, DiVincenzo, the Nova guys, um, they had to trade Archidiacono in the the other deal. Uh, so, loss. You know, tough, tough morale loss there. It is, yeah. No more three-second violations called out. He, he got guys. cut, right? No, yeah, yeah, from Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. They went really young at the deadline. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, Weaver did it. I, I don't know what he got cut from Detroit. I, I, I just assume. I get it, Troy Weaver, a lot, but he did a nice job for the Pistons at the deadline. I digress. The Knicks, in pursuit of an Eastern Conference Finals berth this season, have the rest of this season as their runway, Ralph. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like where we're at is can they load the plane in time to take off on time? We know at some point the plane has to take off for the playoffs. Can they load that plane in time to have the roster they want or close enough to it? I think right now it's looking pretty hopeless because when the whole front court is out, starting three, starting four, starting five, it's really easy to lose hope. I think Randall comes back sooner than people think. He's an Iron Man. Yeah. Um, and he's like never out. Um, and this is something about this season. He doesn't want to just. Yeah. And then Robinson will take his time. But they, haven't be- out- they haven't even ruled out surgery, have they? For Randall, for Randall they, have no, not, they have not. See, that's what scares me. I know, me too. He'll just play through it and then get it in the offseason. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, like, like last season, right. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's like an old-style player where it's like it's actually a debate of whether he'll end his season for it or not. Like yeah. anyone else, it's like, that's, that, that's this is over. Like Zach Levine didn't get traded from the Bulls because he's and a negative contract. this would be the contract. year to keep him out there. Yeah, exactly. Levine, Levine was like, I want to be traded. They couldn't find a trade partner. He was like, you know what? I needed surgery on that knee really bad. And his, and he ended his season. That actually yeah. happened mm. this year. So, like, I that, Didn't Chandler Parsons end his career in a similar fashion? Or I'm not mistaken. I, I don't, you know, he's got that Conversation. Fan, he's got that fan <laughs> podcast. Yeah, uh-huh. maybe, uh, maybe you could ask him about that. Um, but aside from that, aside from M. Jeter just flexing on everyone, basically... <laughs> The Knicks need to get that plan loaded and take off on time. Because if they do, I think they're up there with the Nuggets, Celtics, Clippers, 
and I guess you got to throw the Bucks in there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. The Suns, I guess you got to throw in there as well because of the talent. But I think they're up there. They're not the top of the group. They're not the cream of the crop. They're not the class, right? But they're in that conversation. And in the NBA, with injuries happening all the time in the playoffs, if you find yourself in an Eastern Conference Finals against the Boston Celtics, and they don't have the front court depth to sustain an injury to Porzingis or Horford. Mm-hmm. That's just like you, you, that's why you get yourself in those situations. Because luck isn't real. It's when preparation and opportunity meet up at the right time in the right spot. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is why it's so important to have a coach like Thibodeau. Well, first of all, fellas, happy belated Todd Gibson Day with the 18th <laughs> in New York. Yeah, it's actually a thing now. You know that. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. So, yeah, he's like in with Eric Adams. <laughs> no way. Todd Gibson Day is like a thing. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> you're absolutely right. We're talking Eastern Conference Finals for this Knicks team. It's gotten to the point now where, bare minimum, like you you need to see them in the second round. Um, that's just that's just how good this team is. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Bogdanovich isn't he returning tonight? Should. Okay. Okay. So I I look at this year and it's it's really it's never been more like you you threw in Milwaukee in that in that group of contenders sure of course but I mean right now you're not convinced that uh, that they're that they've been the bucks of of the of the past few seasons. They're not that championship team right now. No. Um I wouldn't put them in my top 4. No. Um and I I think honestly you could say that the Knicks are the second best team in the East. Um, as for loading the plane, I mean, you hope OG comes back. The OG, I feel like the it's been a little vague with with his status and his injury. It was. Now it's not. He should be back in like a month at most. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, it was vague because they they kept it quiet before the trade deadline to not lose leverage. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, but when at full strength, I would put the Knicks against any team in the league, and uh, I would feel confident in saying that we could probably get four games out of seven. Yeah. I mean, uh, a healthy Knicks team is certainly supposed to be an Eastern Conference Finals team, which is a sentence we probably have been able to say in maybe, what, 10, 20, 30 years, Chris? Ten. The expectation ten, ten is maybe. a healthy team makes the Eastern Conference Finals. That's not like 20, what 25. New York Knicks fans are used to, but a good spot. But they also added a couple new names. Bogdanovich, as you said, Burks is back. Chris, those are two names. Bogdanovich is probable this evening in Philadelphia. What kind of impact do you see out of those names? So the thing with Bogdanovich is he's really important in the absence of Randall, um, more so than in the absence of Ananobi, and that someone's got to take the shots, and he can do it. Mm. He's been on a lot of fun playoff teams throughout his career. Like mm-hmm. People underrate this because he was just most recently a Detroit Piston, but do you guys remember that Indiana Pacers team with Victor Oladipo yes. that gave LeBron like a tough time yes. starting power forward? Do you guys remember that Utah Jazz team, that the M- Mitchell and Gobert, that like didn't never, <laughs> the never That's why I remember him as a menace. <laughs> never <laughs> shoot, never really made it through, but they were a top of the league year mm-hmm. in, year out in the regular season mm-hmm. starting power forward. So like... For Bojan Bogdanovic, this is not uncharted territory. It's very charted. He knows exactly what his job is, and he said that out loud to reporters when he was traded to New York. He literally said, we have two ball-dominant all-stars, so my job is going to be to get in the corner and shoot the ball. It's just my preparation now is going to be focusing on that. Mm-hmm. That was Yay. kind of in reference to his <laughs> preparation in Detroit being more about creation because no one else could do it. Mm. Yeah. 
Bogdanovich is really good. He's not crazy good, okay? But back to EPM, when the Knicks traded for him, 84th percentile in the NBA. Burks, 86th percentile offensively in the NBA. These are top flight guys, top, you know, 20% of the NBA in offensive production. That's because of, in my opinion, two things. Number one, they're not just good shooters, they're good pull-up shooters. When driving, they can just pull up. In transition, they can just pull up from three. And that's why, despite the fact that neither of them are incredible athletes, mm-hmm. they present such an offensive advantage. They can just shoot right in your face out of nowhere. The other reason I think they're both so effective offensively is Bogdanovich, it's because of his strength. Burks, it's because of his passing. They each bring something else to the table than just buckets. Like Jordan Clarkson, forever marked a sixth man, really just brings buckets to the table. Now, recently in his prime, in his older age, developing some passing. Burks has the passing. Bogdanovich has the muscle and the strength. They each have something else they bring to the table. Yeah, and Bogdanovich at 34 years old in this role, I kind of fallen in love with Chris because this guy is a 39.5 percenter from downtown as a career. He's done it for nine years. Of course, you see certain years where, you know, 41 percent. You see certain years at 35 percent. But when you're north of that 35 percent for nine years straight, and you got to be a stand-up shooter for the New York Knicks, that seems like a perfect role. But that's going to do it for our New York Knicks talk. Now we're going to transition a little bit into the All-Star game. Guys, mm, All-Star weekend wrapped up. It was a historically non-competitive All-Star game. Caught a lot of flack on social media. Adam Silver presented the trophy, and it didn't seem like he wanted to give anybody <laughs> that trophy. He felt like there was two losers out there. But, it, it, you know, he was really, just he was that a loser. tone, it really stood out. I mean, <laughs> stuck with me. Um but yeah, no, it was like it was like congrats, I guess. Yeah, congrats. You scored more points, was it? I don't even think you said he, you he won. Said, no, he said he said congratulations to the Eastern Conference. You cared a little more. More points. <laughs> you won. He scored in the West. Ridiculous. Like, but a ridiculous so All Star weekend in that regard. I mean, there's I think a famous. It's, it's most funny because Iguodala and Larry Bird. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. Who else? Someone else. I a forget. Third, a third player like went into each locker yes. room before the game and was like. Guys, we gotta try, okay? Like everyone's <laughs> gotta try. There. It should just cut <laughs> to Luka Doncic, twenty-four seconds, like twenty-five seconds left on the clock, <laughs> shooting a three-quarter court shot because they had to go for the two for one. He's <laughs> like analytics, two yeah. for one, you gotta go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, the quote that I was gonna bring up to start the segment was Kobe Bryant saying that this is supposed to be the world's best pickup game right that this is supposed to be NBA players playing at Rucker Park style ball and then there was a point where Kobe Bryant tried to set the tone and make that the all-star game of course that's no longer a possibility but I think in the modern NBA it's going to be impossible to get back to a competitive all-star game and I'll be the first to stake my claim right there that there's no going back these guys some of them most of them in the all-star game that is are centimillionaires. And if they're not centimillionaires, they're young and they're prospects and they're supposed to be centimillionaires in five or six years. And the thing is, when you have an NBA player making 40 mil a year, 35 mil a year at this young age, what's the asset? Their body. And why would you risk the $35 million a year asset For the love of to the game. play in a game that doesn't affect your career? I mean, I don't understand how you could possibly convince these guys to go back to what the All-Star game used to be. Trey Young was saying, we got to get a Rucker Park-type PA announcer to hype us up. Like, I like that idea, though. There's not going to be anything done by that, though. I, I, mean, I think 
I think the solution that no one likes, but that I think would work, is Money? going going no. It's going. The guys that are at the All Star Game don't care about the money. If you That's if a fact. you know this, this is That's an NBA fact. nugget that very few people know. Um, the NBA offered Carter, McGrady, James, and a fourth player. A oh, mi- a, I just saw that. A million each to do a dunk contest. Kobe as well. Kobe mm. was the fourth. They all said no. So, yeah. um, and this is when a million meant more. This was in like 2007 <laughs> yeah. or something. So like a little different, right? Um, I think what you have to do, and I, I don't think this should happen. I'm just saying what you have to do if you actually want to change this is go back to giving the winner home court advantage in yeah. the finals. And that's like- We're talking about before. Yeah. That's like too much. But it's, know, right, right. it's the only way it would work. And so threading that needle has become, like you said, Miles, an impossible task. For me personally, I would- shape up the rest of the weekend a little bit differently in the sense where you try to make it more serious. So now that this three-point shootout, NBA, WNBA is a thing, first of all, give me Durant and Stewart next year. Yeah, that was the best event and, of the uh, whole yes, weekend. And at the WNBA All-Star Game, maybe do Durant and Stewart at the WNBA All-Star Game, mm-hmm. and then next year give me Plum and Lillard, mm-hmm. Kelsey Plum and Damian Lillard one-on-one. Uh, three-point shootout I think would be so fun um, so Plum Lillard Durant Stewart like coming up with little matchups like that would be really fun in my opinion make that a staple of Saturday night take the skills competition and move it to Friday and try to make that the big event of Friday and try to have mm. it be serious or Friday is just celebrity and rising stars right make rising stars fr- yeah. uh, rookies versus sophomores yeah put some financial incentive because they'll take it Mm -hmm. they'll actually play for it do a financial incentive for that game and go back to getting the celebrity game like a-listers like okay like this game this game was actually fun the celebrity game because they had a-listers they had like kai sanat five three and micah parsons out there those are a-listers now i'm just kidding (laughs) they are are nowadays man they are nowadays uh dude the, the the skills competition could go Honestly, okay. At, at this point, I, it just—that's a hot take. And Edwards was so unserious. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and, and what I don't like is how big the passing holes got. Do you remember when <laughs> that even, used to be a challenge when you, I was a kid? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the skills competition. No, I, should, I mean for the, the passing, passing one. They you don't even need the two pointer. Yeah. You don't even need the two pointer like that. It's the game doesn't the game doesn't function properly. <laughs> I uh, I'm glad you brought up Ann Edwards because Ann, he's the player that everyone's always like. This guy's like Michael Jordan reincarnated. He's yeah, like, this guy's like Kobe. If he's not caring, and he and he's like the modern day like the guy, like, oh, he's the guy that actually cares, then like it's it's never gonna get back to its former glory, and like you said, the the option that no one would like uh, about home court, like yeah, like the 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 I don't think the players would go for that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like it needs some major reworking. I think the dunk contest. I mean, there's so much has been said about the dunk contest. I don't think they should end the night with the dunk contest. The judges. They should rearrange the order of things. The judges need to all be fired. But but if they got if they got four players with like Mac McClung's enthusiasm, I think it could be good. It's just it's just about finding the finding the right guys. Like like Jalen Brown was like, Yeah, I'll do it again, but No one wants to yeah, see Yeah, no one that. wants yeah. to see him again. But like 
Derek Jones Jr. would be way more fun than Jalen Brown, and I think everyone can agree on that. Mm-hmm. It's less about the star power right. to me and more about the ability. And Mac McClung proves the that. NBA the NBA has two is, choices. Not a lot of people have heard of his name. Who cares? The dunks will be great. There's two choices. But won't have the same draw, though. You let the product be the draw. Yeah. Right? Let it become a machine that draws itself. Okay? But my point is the NBA has two ways they can go. They can go the Kilganon route and let professional play, professional dunkers that aren't professional players into the event. I don't like that idea. Mm-hmm. The other route they could go is just doing what they did from, like, 2014 to 2019, which was not getting top stars but just picking the best NBA player dunkers that are, like, yeah. little-known players. Like, stop with this G League. Like, okay, Jacob Toppin's actually really good. Yeah. That's cool. Mac McClung feels like the most forced. It does. Like, this This is, Yeah, like, but you can't say he's not been good. He's been good, but it's, like, a bad bit on a Disney cruise. Like, it's like, it's, like, it's, like, they, they, they bring him out every year at All-Star break, like, a, like an act at this point. It's, like... <laughs> And then can you make the – shouldn't there be some ruling where it's like you have to play a certain amount of minutes in the league to be a dunk contest participant? He has a – it's a G League, like, special – yeah, doesn't matter. Like yeah. he's representing the G League? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's representing the G League. And then for Jacob Toppin, they were like, yeah, he's just a Nick. Like, the, like yeah, Mac See, I McCl- knew that. I knew that. Mac McClung, they gave him, like, the Osceola Magic jersey. Jacob Toppin he was still oh, representing yeah, yeah. his franchise. That's amazing. Okay. So, but, I mean, the All-Star game – is, is really where I wanted to get back to because that's the product that seems to matter. The Sunday special that just was a little bit of lollygagging, lollygag, lollygagging <laughs> up and down the court. Pardon me, but I, I, that's about the amount of effort they yeah, put into the game. Exactly, <laughs> and and to me, there's no saving it. But you know, next year it'll be in Golden State. The year after it will be in Los Angeles. But here at Pick and Pod, that's going to do it for this week. Of course, the Brooklyn Nets have returned from the All-Star break. So have those New York Knicks. But a quick birthday shout-out here on Pick and Pod. Bobby C., our sports director. It's his birthday. Oh, Happy Thank birthday, you, Bobby. Bobby. And as always, it's a production of WFUV Sports, which is always a production of Bobby Chafferdini. Bobby Chafferdini.